you planning on spreading organic manure on the fields this autumn? Don't until you've listened to today's programme. Effectively meaning that all and any organic manure applications in the autumn, this autumn, but every autumn going forward, are effectively illegal before most autumn and spring crops. Sean Sparling takes a break from his holiday to look at these important, if controversial, rules that will affect most farms, whatever the type. Open Farm Sunday is a hugely successful way of connecting farming with the public. It's organised by LEAF and many of you take part, but that's far from all that LEAF does. It is that interrelationship with growing quality food and of course ensuring that the environment is not only respected but actually also improved and enhanced. Here part one of my conversation with LEAF Chief Exec Caroline Drummond MBE on the work and vision of LEAF a little later. Plus, what to do when your fleeces are worth next to nothing. We'll hear from Lincoln Longwall Chairman Louise Fairburn. And we'll review the grain markets and see what the weather holds in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. DEFRA is looking for sites between 500 and 5,000 connected hectares for its landscape recovery scheme this autumn and is inviting applications from landowners or managers or collaborative groups to establish at least 10 pilot projects with the aim of supporting the restoration and enhancement of natural ecosystems. There are two main themes, recovering and restoring England's threatened native species of birds and insects and restoring streams and rivers to improve improve water quality and biodiversity and adapt to climate change. Search DEFRA Landscape Recovery Pilots for details. If you have diversified into catering and accommodation, remember that from October the 1st, changes will apply to your VAT rate. The temporary 5% reduced rate will increase to 12.5% until the end of March next year. Sheep prices and sale numbers are on the up with store lamb sales and the recent Tame Sheep Fair, the former Bista sale, seeing record averages. And talking of sheep, well, they're all shorn now, but what value the fleeces? This time last year, wool was pretty much worthless. Louise Fairburn, chairman of the Lincoln Longwool Association, is it any better this year? Um, absolutely worse for Lincoln Longwools. Um, our predicted price for this coming year is five pence a kilo, and you did hear that correctly. Yeah, it's not good, is it? As a group, Louise, can the Lincoln Longwall Association do anything collectively? Um, <laughs> we've been talking amongst our members about the possibility of doing a collective project because mm. I think one of the problems for a rare breed like the Lincoln is that the wool board receives the fleeces in dribs and drabs, which is not great for them in terms of selling it as a specialist wool. When you say dribs and drabs, Louise, do you mean from one farm at a time? Yeah, because all the wool gets taken to central collection points, but because it's not really coordinated, and a lot of our members only keep a few sheep, they might not even have a full wool sheet, if you understand what I mean. Mm. So they're just sending a few fleeces and they possibly just get combined with other with other fleeces to make a sheet up. I just think that we're not capitalising upon the fantastic commodity that this particular breed produces. But I'm, I'm also, you know, mindful that British wool as a whole, I feel, is being undervalued. Um, I mean, the price for, for Lincoln, as I say, has dropped dramatically um, as it has across the, the board. 
but you know British wool is still some of the best wool in the world but I, I think Covid has affected the price definitely for the forthcoming year on top of which the factories that process the wool which are not in this country particularly anymore there's no they've all had to close down they've been on shutdowns so there's no processing happening so we've kind of got a backlog now and I'm sure that you know the wool board are doing a fantastic job but I feel that the way we're having to go as a breed association to do our own promotion is probably the way forward for us, but it, it might end up being the demise of the British Wool Board. So if you and other farmers got together to collaborate and do, do this collectively, what would you do? Get all the fleeces together centrally and then sell them to somebody else, or how does it work? Yeah, well, there are independent buyers out there. But the, the problem for, for British wool generally, the, farm, the farmers of British wool, is they are obliged to send their wool to the wool board, which was a bit like the milk marketing board in its day, mm. um, except there's an exemption for people like us that breed a rare breed. We can do what we like with our wool, but the other, the other sheep breeders are kind of stuck with sending it to the wool board and getting the price that they, the wool board dictate. Once COVID's hopefully out of the way before too long, can you see things getting better or are we in a, a long-term slump here? I can see a lot of positive things happening with wool and I can see a lot of positive energy around using it and the sort of natural aspect of it. I think there's a lot of lean towards that way that will generate an interest in wool again. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Thank you, Louise. No problem. So what's all this about restrictions on spreading organic manure on fields this autumn? Sean Sparling has kindly taken a break from soaking up the Lincolnshire sun to look at some very important rule changes that will affect almost all of us. Sean, good morning. Yes, a very good morning to you, Steve. I am very aware that I'm on holiday. Thank you very much. I'm sitting here in my bikini and my flip-flops. But sometimes things come in that we need to address and we need to get out there. There'll be a lot of farmers now that are far too busy to read magazines and email because um, they're on with harvest and land work, getting next year's crops in the ground. But something happened about 10, 10 days ago. The Environment Agency released a regulatory position statement and a question and answer document um, in relation to spreading organic manures on land between now now on the 1st of March 2022, effectively meaning that all and any organic manure applications in the autumn, this autumn, but every autumn going forward, are effectively illegal before most autumn and spring crops, with the exception of in front of winter oilseed rape and grassland, which were deemed to have an autumn requirement for nitrogen. Now, there was some pressure put on the Environment Agency to rethink this whole strategy, and they've responded by releasing a regulatory position statement, or an RPS, which is now effective until the 1st of March next year. And it's fair to say it's come as a massive surprise to all industry insiders, including myself. And this RPS outlines in general terms when the use of organic manures to land may be acceptable on crops other than uh, winter oilseed rape and grassland in the autumn. But to be very clear, it appears that if any farmer wishes to apply any type of organic manure to land before the 1st of March 2022 to any crop other than winter oilseed rape or grass, that farmer must use the RPS application scheme and must inform the Environment Agency in advance of doing so. Now, the RPS itself lists several situations where organic manures can be spread between now and the 1st of March 2022 on crops other than winter oilseed rape or grass. 
but generally speaking, the farmer must have proof they cannot store the organic manure at the place of production. They cannot store the organic manure at the place of use. They cannot send the organic manure to an off-site AD plant or other effluent treatment plant like a sewage treatment works, or that they cannot store the organic manure off-site. So if you're a livestock farmer, only if you must apply because you cannot store it or export it for AD or burning. And if you're a farmer using biosolids, you can only use the RPS if you're under contract to take the material on farm and you have no available storage and therefore no alternative but to spread it. Also, you can only apply organic manures on land with a low risk of leaching and runoff when the weather and the ground conditions allow you to do so. And that does not include sandy or shallow soils. It does not include land which is going to be left bare over the winter in front of a spring crop or in front of winter cereals. It does not include land that has an average slope of more than eight degrees. The land's drainage cannot be impeded. That means no compaction or capped soil surfaces and the soils have to be permeable and good structure. Cannot apply it to a, a soil which is at field capacity. You cannot apply it to land that hasn't been pipe drained, mould drained or subsoiled in the last 12 months. You must not apply it within a designated groundwater source protection zone 1. It must be applied at least 10 metres away from surface water or any conduit leading to surface water. And it must be applied at least 50 metres away from any springs, wells and boreholes. And crucially, any application must be applied at a rate which allows no more than 5 kilos per hectare of nitrate nitrogen to be leached out of it. Now, I suggest everybody goes on to the website planet4farmers, where the 4 is the number 4, planet4farmers.co.uk forward slash manor, download manor NPK, put all the details of the relevant fields into that, the sort of organic manure you're going to apply and the rates, and it will work out for you how much nitrogen as nitrate nitrogen is likely to be leached from that. Critically, if you want to use this regulatory position statement, this RPS, you must email the Environment Agency to tell them that you want to do so in advance. Send your name, your address, your type of organic manure, the field location, the holding number, everything you can. The EA say that they will avoid enforcement action, preferring to educate this autumn, but they may well inspect you to ensure that you've followed all the terms of the RPS. Now, this isn't just about nitrogen either. There are fundamental risk factors for the loss of nitrogen, but phosphates as well to water. And phosphates have now suddenly turned into uh, public enemy number two overnight. Autumn applications rather than spring of organic manures is a higher risk of nitrate and phosphate losses to water. When you apply manures in the autumn or the winter before a spring crop, that's likely to be wholly unacceptable with the possible exception perhaps of very low available nitrogen manures like compost. The soil type, lighter soils, much higher risk than heavier soils, but drained clays can also represent a huge risk. High available nitrogen manures like poultry manures, slurries, digestates represent a much higher risk of nitrate losses than the low availability nitrogen materials such as compost as I've said but it'd be very difficult I think to justify any autumn application of high available nitrogen manures this autumn and going forward even with that RPS. Incorporation is desirable for all organic manure applications if possible and it actually is a legal requirement in any NVZ area as soon as possible after application. Use lower doses of organic 
organic manures that helps to reduce the risk the soil p index as well any phosphate containing organic manure should be avoided on p index three or more that's already banned for biosolids recently drain field mold drain subsoil field higher risk organic manure applications under the rps are banned in those situations the slope anything above eight degree slope is not acceptable under this rps and plant crop applying any manure manure in the autumn to prior to a spring crop is deemed very very high risk particularly if the land is laid bare over the winter that practice is unlikely to be acceptable on any level in this rps so applying before winter oilseed rape or on grass in the autumn may be acceptable but before an autumn cereal is going to require pre-registration and full compliance within that rps so all i'm saying is eyes open wide awake read the documents go to the environment agency website the farming rules for water the reduction and prevention of agricultural diffuse pollution in england regulation as much information as you can possibly get hold of you should do make sure you're legal make sure you're safe and please don't fall foul of these regulations which have come at you from nowhere this autumn i'm going to find it so hard to lose the image of sean in a bikini and flip-flops Thank you, Sean. Uh, get back to the pool, but please cover up. Andrew Ward, Lednam Farmer, how are these changes going to affect you? It'll affect us hugely because we use between ten and 12,000 tonnes of sewage sludge every year, and that contains phosphate, nitrogen, sulphur, and a whole range of trace elements which the crop requires and needs to reach its potential. But one thing it does contain, probably most important of all, is organic matter. You can't buy organic matter in a bag and it takes years of applications of products like sewage sludge and farmyard manures to improve the organic matter level in a soil. And with the increased weather events that we're getting with prolonged rain and the difficult times we have with flooding, organic matter actually means the soil is more resilient to reduce flooding and actually help in this situation. Now, the other problem we've got is that we're constantly told by the government to look after the environment and to care for our soil. And in fact, they say they'll pay us to do that. But now we have the Environment Agency saying, well, we won't let you do that. So on the one hand, we've got one department saying that we need to improve things. We need to look after the environment. But we've got another department stopping us from doing that. There is no joined up thinking here. And I don't think there's been much farmer involvement in these regulations that they are now imposing. They are also saying that we are not allowed to apply these products if the fields have been subsoiled, which is loosened below the ground, or mould, which again helps us to drain the fields, we're not allowed to apply any of these organic manures if we've done these cultivations on the field, which most of us do most years in some form or other. So it's a massive problem for us in agriculture across the country. And of course, the other thing, we have got plastic waste that is an issue because we're going to have to now go back to mined fertiliser and that will cause us a lot of plastic waste because we have to buy the fertiliser in bags. Thanks, Andrew. As Sean said, do check out the rules on the Environment Agency website or speak to your advisor to make sure you don't fall foul of the new rules. Sean can be contacted at sasagronomy.co.uk. 
We've spoken to Leaf often about Open Farm Sunday and the great job that does of linking farmers and the public. What we've never really examined is the work of Leaf as an organisation. It's far, far more than just organising that one day. Leaf stands for Linking Environment and Farming. And I spoke with Caroline Drummond, MBE, the Leaf Chief Exec, a few days ago and started by asking her, how do you go about making that link work? Well, um, thank you, Steve, for inviting me. And I think... Every single day a farmer is out there in nature, whether it be sort of facing the elements of the sort of wind and rain and sunshine, or whether actually it is using the medium that we we work with in farming, which is our soil and working with biodiversity. And the wonderful thing that agriculture is all about, it is that interrelationship with growing quality food and, of course, ensuring that the environment is not only respected, but actually also improved and enhanced. And what farmers' role is to do is, is to ensure that the crops that are planted in it, the livestock that graze off it, will add value to that soil to capture more carbon, to ensure that the nutrition is reflected in the food that we eat. And then, of course, we're very lucky in the UK. Uh, we have wonderful habitats and biodiversity and we have a brilliant infrastructure that surrounds our fields. And that is alive with insects and mammals and birds. And many farmers are, are increasingly actually using that interrelationship to help protect the, the health of the plants as well. There has been a move, hasn't there, over recent years, more towards integrated farm management, sustainable farming, biodiversity, looking after the environment and so on. Has this caused any conflicts with farmers who are saying, oh, for goodness sake, I'm just here to produce food. Let me get on with that. I need that extra 10 percent at the at the end of a field that you want to rewild and, and, and so on, because I need to produce food and I need to earn a living. Have, have there been conflicts of that sort along the way? Without a doubt, yes. I mean, I've been uh, running Leaf since the organisation started 30 years ago. And that that time we had sort of moved out of the 80s where we needed more food um, and then we were then starting to sort of see that there had become a tipping point where we were producing too much food and the biodiversity was suffering. And so in the early days, there was definitely that, well, we still need to produce food. Uh, and we do need to produce food, but actually it can be done hand in hand in nature. And it was through working with very forward looking farmers, which we continue to, you know, those can do farmers that are so brilliant and inspiring for not only uh, us as an organisation to work with, but uh, for other farmers as well. But now, no, I mean, I think people truly recognise the impact of climate change means, you know, we have to manage that with really looking at the wonderful properties that nature has in helping kind of create a defence mechanism. Because if we get the balance right, then actually this is what we can ultimately kind of solve. What are you looking for farmers to do to actually fulfil the visions of LEAF? What, what do you want them to, to do on their farms? So as an organisation, we are very much wedded to a, a principle of integrated farm management. And if you imagine, farmers are a bit like a, a juggler, juggling nine balls at any one time. And, you know, that'll be soil management, crop health, energy use, pollution control, organisation and planning, biodiversity, ensuring that they're engaging with the community. And, and of course, you know, that whole area of organisation and planning. And 
What's really fascinating is by adopting that framing, it allows farmers to look at the good things that they're doing. Think, yeah, you know, I'm doing a really good job here, but also identify some of the areas where they need to either improve or they haven't thought about before. So what we do is encourage through the framework of integrated farm management, a whole farm approach that is site specific farmers to really take stock of what they're doing and then use that as the building block for really improvement. And some farmers will be members and they'll use our management tools. We have a Leaf Sustainable Farming Review, which has been going since 1993. Back in 93, it was a carbon copy document. Now it's WizWiz Interactive Online. (laughs) Um, right through to Leaf Mark, which is, and in fact, we have, you know, a, a huge amount of Lincolnshire growers that are Leaf Mark certified, where farmers are recognised for going the extra mile in delivering more sustainable agriculture and better and enhanced biodiversity. And we now have 45% of UK fruit and veg will be Leaf Mark certified. So as, as well as saying, well, this is what we'd like you to do, you're offering advice, guidance, etc., to farmers who say, OK, yeah, I like the sound of that. Help me. What do I need to do? Yeah, so we work with advisors, but actually what we offer is guidance. We have a demonstration farmer network. So that is where, you know, events, whether it be obviously via Zoom or Teams or via actually in the field, that is where, you know, farmers can look at other farming practices and think, hmm, you know, that wouldn't work on my farm or think I could adapt that or I could experiment with that to give it a go to look at new farming systems because the intensity of the weather now and these extreme weather instances we have actually need different mitigation approaches. And so from that point of view, it it is constantly looking to update and reflect and change farming practices that are going to be fit for purpose in the future. That's Leaf Chief Exec Caroline Drummond and more from what was a very interesting conversation about Leaf and its work and visions on next week's farming programme. For now, though, it's to the markets we go with our weekly review with Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The well-documented production issues in the US, Canada, Russia, Kazakhstan and the Middle East could reduce global production by 20 to 25 million metric tonnes, which could be offset by an increase of 3 to 4 million metric tonnes in Australia and Ukrainian wheat. French and German harvests are delayed by rain, which has had major implications for the quality, but to a lesser extent, quantity, although German Farmers Union have lowered their production prospects by 1.9 million metric tonnes. There are reports of queues of vessels waiting to load in France as they segregate quality, hence the sharp rise in Matif futures market, which has had a milling spec reduction back to 11% in protein. It was, however, interesting to note that the EU wheat exports are 3% ahead of last year, despite the delayed harvest and reports of lack of demand. The USDA will deal with the global maize situation as well. Will they lower the US maize yield? And if they do, by how much? How much more will they cut in Brazil? The official Brazilian agency, CONAB, have cut their forecast by 7 million metric tonnes this week. What implications does this have for the US maize exports? We could go on, but the reality is we will continue to take baby steps until more data is released. Once the US report is out and the algorithms and computer traders have had their fill, we will all be able to analyse the report. Expect lots of talk of demand destruction, margin erosion, swine flu, delta variants, Chinese import reductions and cancellations, etc. The reality is the global grain situation has tightened significantly in recent weeks and in the midst of the Northern Hemisphere harvest, which has got off on the wrong foot, many traders and fund managers and consumers will have a bullish view. 
Moving on to barley, dry couple of days recently has allowed harvest to continue with spring barley results seemingly maintaining the early cut trend for good quality and acceptable yields. Winter barley harvest looks to be rounding out as molsters now look to conclude their harvest movement requirements in the next week or two to move on to spring barley intake. The French barley harvest is winding down with Denmark now hitting it in full stride. There is a Danish crop tour on Thursday with a large number of European molsters in attendance to gauge the crop quality. With the winter malting barley harvest offering a mixed picture in terms of results and understandably growers are waiting to cut the barley before they bring the parcels to market. Market values continue to be supported by gains in the feed barley with premiums being maintained at the current time. Moving on to all-seed rape, UK harvest continues with rape still in the fields in many parts of the UK. UK values have seen some support over the week as the nearby Matif futures have gained around €18 over the period. And whilst the pound has made small gains at the same time, values have picked up. Further support in the veg oil compacts has been seen from the surprise drop in palm oil stocks and the tightening production ideas which caught the trade off guard and drove a 7% gain in palm oil values midweek. Additionally, some new crop soybean sales were made into China from the US, signalling some sort of return to the market by the world's largest soybean consumer. EU import numbers are already running at 414,000 tonnes versus 310,000 tonnes this time last year. The forecast requirement for the EU will be around 6 million tonnes. So moving on to prices this week, August, feed wheat straight off the combine 184 to 187, November 189 to 192, February 193 to 195, May 196 to 198. Milling wheat premiums are currently 20 to 24 pounds. Feed barley for August 158 to 160, November 164 to 166, February 167 to 169, May 171 to 173. Malting premiums are circa 25 to 30 pounds for a 185 nitrogen. All seed rate for August 445 to 448, November 455 to 460, February 460 to 463, and May 463 to 466. Thank you very much, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. A little bit of light rain around this week, but mostly dry, sunny and quite warm. Light winds from the southwest today with showers possible amongst the sunny spells, temperatures getting up to 24 Celsius. A couple of degrees cooler for Monday as the wind veers round to the northwest, picking up to the mid-teens MPH. Rain expected through the middle of the week, crisper winds pushing 20 miles per hour westerly on Tuesday and from the north on Wednesday, highs staying in the upper teens. And the week ends with sunshine, very light winds and highs in the low 20s. Next week we'll have more from Leaf Chief Exec Caroline Drummond and hear of an alternative crop being trialled in Lincolnshire. Plus we go organic when I visit Herefordshire Dairy Farm. I'm Steve Orchard, until then keep harvesting and have a good week on farm.